0: plushcare.com slash weight loss welcome to the bradley wiggins show by eurosport the home of cycling in association with lacquer bicycle insurance i'm graham wilgos brad we're back how are you good thank you yeah goods. Um, and we are very happy to say that also with us this week, once again, it's a warm welcome back to GCN Zone, Daniel Lloyd. Thank you very much. Dan, life begins at 40 for you. Congratulations. Well, I don't know that yet. I'm only a week into it. A week Less. in. Uh, we'll come to that. But also we should introduce... Our second guest, also back for his second appearance on this season's Bradley Wiggins show, former British champion and Eurosport commentator extraordinaire, Matt Stevens. Too much? Uh, Lovely to be here.
1: Thank you very much indeed. That was a a heck of a uh, introduction uh, for which I'm utterly grateful. And we should mention the hair. Yeah. uh, It's a shame this isn't a visual podcast, i.e. a videocast, because my... Although, actually, the the, the, the bandwidth could cope with my hair width. Um, So, you you can look Matt
0: up on social media if you just want to see uh, how happy Mondays he is. Chaps, straight in into it before we get down to the racing il lombardia today very strange having it this early in the year but before we go into the racing like i say i think we're all breathing a huge sigh of relief that remko um seems to be stable after his crash today another very nasty crash um, he went over the wall of a bridge on the descent of the Sumano. super steep climb where the race selection is often made flipping over his handlebars and into a ravine um, that was covered by trees. We think he, he's he's fallen 30 or 40 feet. Medical teams were quickly on the scene. So De Quickstep, his team, have said this evening that he suffered a fractured pelvis and a right lung contusion. It was a hell of a drop. Of course, real concern for him when it happened. I mean, our hearts were in our mouths today, weren't they? Once again.
2: Again, yeah, and also for the same team. And, and I mean, his injuries could have been far, far worse than what we're hearing they are at the moment. So... Thank goodness for that, really. I mean, it was just another, like you said, heart-in-your-mouth moment when you saw the repeat of the crash and the replay of the crash uh, probably a few too many times on on the coverage today. But I think he can thank himself lucky, really, uh, that he's got out of it as he has done because, as I said, that could have been a lot, lot worse. And, you know, looking good to win the race, really, wasn't he, as well? I mean, that's sort of least of his... Um out-and-out favourite for today. He was yep, out-and-out favourite despite the first time he's ever doing it, the first time he's doing a monument, but I guess that's the least of his worries at this point. And as I said, he'll just be thankful that... Uh, that hopefully he's come out of this with without anywhere near as severe injuries as as we might have expected given the severity
0: of the crash. Matt, what did you make of it? You know, he was he was there on his own. As it, it seemed to be almost a loss of
1: concentration. Not to be un, unfair. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things. It was a, it was a. There's no other way to put it. I mean, so, sometimes some of the most catastrophic crashes that we see in cycling are purely down to rider error. I mean, it, luck doesn't come into it. There was just a misjudgment. And I think what you have to look at is the context of the crash as well. You've got arguably one of the finest descenders in the pro peloton, Vincenzo nearly applying a bit of pressure. We, we've seen him in the past distance, you know, riders on a descent, uh, although he can climb very well, quite often that's where he's, he's, he's made the gaps to win big races. Milan San Remo, Il Lombardia, yeah, he's done it before. Clearly, Remco just didn't quite get it right and um, went a bit wide on that corner and, and just caught the edge. It looked like it was his handlebars he actually caught the edge with and it catapulted him over the top because there's pictures of his bike. His bike isn't actually in that bad nick, but he obviously... Went over the bars. Horrible to see. Uh, I'm just glad that, um, you know, he's conscious and uh, that the uh, the injuries he sustained aren't quite as bad as they could be because, most, like everybody else here, I think, and the rest of the view in public who are watching the race uh, thought for the worst. Mm. And as you said, especially in the context of the of the luck that the team have had of late with Jakobsen. So, um, yeah, hopefully he'll recover from this and move on. But um, he's going to be shaken for a while. And, mm. uh, and he'd done double recons. He'd ridden, he'd ridden that descent twice over the last week or so. He's been out on his own training, and is in the form of his life, uh, one of the most exciting riders of a generation. But, yeah, um, I'm just glad the injury isn't as severe as uh, initially thought.
0: Yeah. Uh, Brad, bouncing back from something like this, never easy. But when you're as young as Ivanapol is, 20 years old, will, th- will that be the fact that time is on his side and he's still got that sort of carefree abandon of youth, if you will? Yeah, I mean, it remains to be seen. I think he's um, come late to cycling as well, hasn't he, for, for
3: his age? And seems to have hit the ground running. He's um, probably the biggest talent in cycling at the moment of his age, anyway. Aside from Vanderpool, he would have been a real real favourite for today. um, The way he's been going, but um, it remains to be seen, doesn't it? I mean, you know, a crash like that can be quite scary and leave sort of bit trauma with it, particularly for descending. You know, in the next few years, he might um, kind of bottle the descents a little bit. You know, don't know. Every rider's different, but being young, you probably tend to think less about the risk. In bike racing, it's probably as you get older and you have crashes of that nature that, that they sort of set you back because you realise what's important in life and, and perhaps don't take as many risks in the future. But it will certainly shake him for if he remembers anything about it. It looked like the road closed in a little bit and the wall was sort of further into the road on either side, so it was sort of bottlenecked. And I think he kind of, it looked like he hit that, am I right, Matt? Yeah. And kind of flipped over. And I yeah. don't know if the, from braking so hard as well with the disc brakes that that kind of catapulted him a little bit. It is a descent that's had caused a lot of problems in the last few years, isn't it? Every race now that you go into, because Hurilo crashed in the Jira, didn't he? Mm. Around that area, um, went forty foot down and never raced again. On the ex- exit of a corner of that nature, they should perhaps have hay bales and things on that wall to at least limit riders going over the wall. So um, there's definitely, again, as we spoke about last year, last week with the Tour of Poland, some safety issues that. Certainly, the UCI can can start looking into a bit more for these riders. Well,
0: once again, we're we're here talking about rider
3: safety, yeah,
0: um, which is which has been um, a, a theme so far this season. Is it partly because I mean it's been such a sketchy start? Because there is, is there more nerves in the peloton map than we might usually expect.
1: I, I don't necessarily think there's nah. that. There's more nerves in the peloton, but I do think that the rider. There's a few riders quite clearly. I think there's a big disparity in relation to riders' condition, and uh, there's still riders trying to find the rhythm of the racing, and, and the rhythm of racing isn't just setting it, you know, finding your tempo on a climb and having the condition to race at the at the pointy end of a race. It's also you know descending at speed on the closed roads, whereas when you're in training, you're not taking the same sort of risk. But when you're put under pressure and you've not raced that much. Maybe you, there's a few more potential unforced errors that you can get. But to be honest with you, on, on a, at this sort of terrain, part of the game, and it pains me to say it, but part of the game is the, is the ability to push things to the edge. The very nature and what makes this sport so, so harsh and so beautiful is the fact... They're on a knife edge all the time, and and basically it's rider error. If you want to be a pro cyclist, you've got to be able to handle your bike. Mm. And I think there's only so much that can organisers do about putting barriers up. It's a good point that Brad raised because there was a very narrow pinch point in the Dauphiné the other day, and it was metal railings. uh, But there was crash barriers over those, two big thick yellow mattresses, and it was a really innocuous point on the course that they'd they'd obviously looked at it. But how far do you go? You know, I mean sometimes riders will make unforced errors, and and that's just the way it is. But I think rider safety should always be at forefront. But there's anything obvious, race organisers. do a good job the organisers in the I said never rest on their laurels there's always progress to be made on that side of things sometimes
2: though it's not unforced errors you know th- that error was kind of forced by Nibali. Yeah, sorry, i meant the other way. I'm yeah, in the other I know, way, man. i yeah. I'm just. I just to go back to that point that I think when you won the Tour, Brad, that Nibali was trying to make a difference mm. often on the descent, and that's you know mm. absolutely fine. He's not hoping that somebody behind him has a horrific. No, it's crash. part of the
3: race, isn't it? But yeah. by
2: virtue of you know using his talent as a descender, he's hoping to create a gap, whether that's by just going down faster or by somebody making a mistake behind. And as I said, he, he's not going to hope that anybody has a no. And you can't take that like away from racing, can you? Because that's, no, that's an exciting part, and yeah. it. Uh, and you and, know what it's like in psych, and we talked about Harilo. Going down hills is a bigger part of going up, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. but it, it's... It does. Be, I was saying this to you earlier, Graham, that it's, you don't think of it as life and death when you're racing, but sometimes when you're dropped like Pedro Herrilla was in 2009, I was there in a group in, just in front of him, but I was thinking the same thing. Like If I don't get back onto the peloton now, the breakaway hasn't gone, I could be out of the race. So I'm going to take some risks down this descent to try and make sure I get back to the peloton so that I'm in there for the flat section that's coming. Otherwise, I'm going to be outside the timing. That's what Pedro Herrilla was thinking as well, and he pushed it a bit too far and went over the edge. And Remco today would have been thinking the same thing. You know, Christ, you know, Vincenzo's really pushing things on there's a three length gap up to the group and I need to close that otherwise my race and my hopes of winning might be over and that's unfortunately the dire consequences of him trying to close that gap but it's, it's an interesting one but you know Descending, as Brad said, is a big part of racing and a part of being a complete bike rider. I don't know what the answer is because there are so many dangers to bike racing and obviously some of them need to be mitigated. I think we were chatting earlier, though, that you know Dan Martin tweeted straight after the crash and said, you know, that downhill every year is what he said, because there have been multiple crashes there mm. in, in, in the previous few years as well. So I do wonder whether in situations where it's deemed as dangerous, like the Tour de Polonia sprint as well, whether... If everyone's saying, well, this is really dangerous, unfortunately, the only time anything ever happens about it is when you have a really serious crash and everyone's like, oh, well, actually, maybe we should do something about how dangerous that is.
0: By comparison, actually, on Hario, um so Rabobank Rider, we should say, so the, like you say, the 2009 Giro, he fell 180 feet into a ravine and nobody would have known about it were it not for for your man Jez Hunt as well getting on the, on the radio to say, hold on a well, second. Yeah. I mean, his
2: his bike wasn't quite as visible as Remco's was on the side there. So, But Jez spotted a. a uh, I can't remember what bikes the rubber bank were using at the time. Giant, maybe. Pretty Colnago, isn't it? Might well yeah. have been. Yeah, I mean, he spotted a bike in the undergrowth and he noticed that there was a number on it. And he got back onto the radio to, to our sports director, who I think was Jean Paul Van Poppel, to said, just make the organisers aware that there's a Football. rider's bike there. And, you know, w- w- without that, they might not ever have found. Well, <laughs> not ever, but, you know, they, they wouldn't have been so quick to the scene, yeah. let's put it that yeah. way. Yeah.
0: Yeah, at the other end of his career, um, we should say. So he never rode a World Tour race again after that. We mentioned Fabio Jakobsen there. We should just give uh, an update on on his awful crash on the first stage of the Tour of Poland. So this week he was able to walk from uh, an ambulance onto his flight home back to the uh, the Netherlands, where he'll receive additional treatment at the Leiden University Medical Center. The De Kernink Quickstep doctor has been quoted. Everyone has seen what a heavy fall this was. If you can now see that Fabio is mobile again, that he can stand up again, that he has no fractures to his lower limbs, yes, then you can safely speak of a
1: miracle. Matt, miracle, fair way to sum it up. I, I was actually watching at this stage at home with Chris Lillywhite, um, a, you know, good mate of mine and an ex-teammate, and winning the Milk Race back in the day, and, we, and, and manager of one of Brad's teams back at a few a year or so ago, and uh, we couldn't believe what unfolded before our very eyes. You know, it was. I kind of wanted to turn the telly off, to be perfectly mm. honest with you, and, and thankfully we did actually flick from those pictures quite quickly. I honestly felt, uh, felt physically sick, mm. and, and I thought, I mean, the fact that he didn't break any bones, it was a, he had difficulty with his esophagus, a crushed esophagus, and a crushed palate. Obviously, a lot, a lot of the brunt of the impact was taken by the poor gentleman who happened to be taking a photo at the same time. Had it not been for that bloke, he would have gone straight into the, the iron kind of um, gantry, and things could have been worse thank goodness that um it's not as bad as uh it seems but i know there's still a bit of work to go he had mm. a lot of uh, uh maxillofacial surgery didn't he so yeah. you know but yeah uh, a miracle well i think it's just luck <laughs> well, it's, it's amazing <laughs> yeah. isn't it it's like, astonishing
2: <laughs> i think mark surreau who was who crashed as well that finished third he said that his speedo was up to 82 kilometers per hour and it is notorious for being a very fast sprint that one but if you're in your car and you see 82 kilometers per hour you know even on a on a motorway or highway it it feels fast when you look down the side. I mean, it's incredible just to think that somebody's just crashed in Lycra and a flimsy helmet at that point.
3: Yeah. I spoke to uh, Dylan Gronerbeg during the week I sent him a message, a voice note, just saying that I'd seen the UCI stuff we talked about last week. And I said, you know, they a bunch of sh- basically. And, um, I just wanted to give him a big hug and send my love really because, you know, I realized how hard it must be for him as well. And he sent me a message back sort of um, saying, thank you, it means so much. Then his girlfriend messaged me about 10 minutes later and said, "Um, thank you so much for sending that. He's not had many messages of support like that. And you don't know how much it means to him at this moment. Um, He really needed that. So we were talking about last week, you know, about um, how hard he'll be taking it. Both sides to it. Yeah. Um, Really interesting. So, yeah, I just felt urged to send him a message because, you know, I thought a lot about it and that you know i hope he's alright and i hope he had good people around him because he you know he's not really done anything wrong and you know the, a lot of the blame being heaped on him in mm-hmm. terms of life bans and things like that um he's still a human being at the end of the day God. so i'm sure he'll be pleased that um that he, Jakobsen's back on his feet and not not as bad as maybe we've, we appeared to be last week.
0: Well, it bears repeating another difficult day for de Quick Quickstep, but we wish Remco Ivanapol well, we wish Fabio Jakobsen well, um, and Dylan Grunewagen too. So moving on, chaps, Ivanapol was the favourite today, favourite to take his first monument. It was not to be, normally the race of the falling leaves. Uh, today was another day in the blazing hot sunshine. 231 kilometers, uh, undulating from Bergamo in the north of Italy to Lake Como. Uh, it was another man who would have been among the favorites uh, after his showing at Strada Bianchi and the Tour of Poland, Astana's Jakob Fulsang, who won it. Here's how Rob Hatch called it for us on Eurosport.
4: And we are approaching Lakeside in Cormor. 231 kilometers, all of the usual climbing and some great drama in the end. After the odd worrying moment, Jakub Fulsang, Astana, and another brilliant win. A look behind in a moment, surely realization and time to celebrate. Jakub Fulsang became a monuments man 12 months ago. The great Dane has now have done it in Italy. Gido di Lombardia, for the first time ever, has a Danish winner. Jakub Fulsang is his name, and George Bennett. Having tried to do the same for his nation, New Zealand, for his team, Yombo Visma, who've only ever managed second place here. But from Bolkert all the way up, 16 years later, they are back in second place. Brilliant ride from a man in form. Winner on Wednesday, second here, George Bennett has ridden a brilliant, brilliant Giro di Lombardia.
0: So Jakob Fulsang with a dominant victory today. Um, we should round out the podium before we get into it. George Bennett coming in 31 seconds down. And then Alexander Vlasov at 51 seconds Dan, it was so strung out towards the end there. That was one of the first things you said when, while we were watching uh, when the, the top 10 came up. Every rider coming in on his own. Matt, you said it was more like a, a sportive
1: result. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, just like Stra- Strada Bianca and then this race. And Obviously, the, both of these races have been held in far different conditions, a lot hotter conditions than usual. But yeah, looking at the, the time gaps, it's uh, not something we normally see at all, is it, Dan?
2: No, and uh, I think every rider in the top 10 came in on their own, which just goes to show how hard the day was, um, and I think Pro Cycling Stats said that it was the biggest gap between first and tenth since 1992, and we're used to races being a lot closer these days. There's so many riders that are on the same level. I guess it was slightly different this year in that you know, a lot of the riders that would normally do well in Il lombardia are racing the Criterium du Dauphiné at the moment, so maybe you know, the field wasn't quite as stacked mm. at the front end as it might normally have been, but I think that must have still been an incredibly hard addition of the race. Brad, Jakob Fulsang, the main man today?
3: Yeah. Incredibly
2: um, strong, wasn't he? Day yeah, of the day, mate.
3: 35, is he? aged uh, last year, um, pretty much in the same fashion, actually, took off on the last climb. He's just grown in confidence every year now, really. And I think picking up his big wins in his sort of mid-30s, which is, um, as I said earlier, he's, uh, he came to prominence sort of 10, 10, 12 years ago with Bjorn Reese's CSC. He finished top 10 in the Dauphiné, and Bjorn Reese actually tipped him as the next tour winner for Denmark back then and then he had quite a few sort of shallow years after that really running the company of um, Schleck, um, Andy and Frank and then a change of teams gave him a new lease of life really Um got away from Bjorn Reese's system. He was probably in too much of a Danish setup back then um, especially with the pressure on him as being the next tour winner it didn't seem to handle it very well and as I say, under Vinokrov now, he's just got that guidance and he always seems to be in that sort of similar position, that breakaway, really. And when he won the Dauphiné a few years ago, he was looking like he was going to be one of the favourites for the Tour and then he had that crash in the first week, which pretty much wiped him out. But um, I guess this year, the Tour, is going to be his last real shot, I reckon, to certainly get on the podium or... I think he's doing or, the Giro it? this year. He's doing and the Giro, is Yeah, he is,
2: yeah. yeah. I mean, he
3: could be a real favourite for the Giro.
2: Yeah, well, he's got his Vlasov that was third today is, is there for Astana as well.
3: He was up there in um, Strada Bianchi for a bit as well, so he seems to get, get better every week. So, I wonder if he should yeah. have
2: focused more on the one days before now, because I think he's only got one top ten at a Grand Tour in his whole career. He's had a lot of top tens in week-long World Tour stage races and those two wins at the Dauphiné, but his calling seems to be the one days. Like you said, close yeah. to the win in Strada Bianca. He's got Liège and Lombardy now. He's, yeah, second at the Tour of Poland too, so, overall.
1: Yeah, his form has been good since, since the end of lockdown. Like you said, fifth in strada, like second in, in Poland. And he won at the start of the year, won uh, the Route del Sol. So he's It's amazing you're runner.
2: rattling these results off the top of your it's head. It's right in
1: front of me, mate, right in front of me. Brad, what do we make of Trek's performance today?
0: So this, the six riders off the front in the break, Trek had three. So Vincenzo Nibali, uh, Ciccone, who Matt's already mentioned, and Bauke Mollema. Um, and they finished, they finished fourth, fifth and sixth.
3: Yeah, they've certainly not. Um, Nibali's getting better every week, though, isn't he? Um, we spoke about him a few weeks ago and we spoke about him not looking at his usual self and maybe age catching up with him but I wouldn't underestimate him um, for the tour I think he's going to be there in that third week of the tour somewhere um, but I, I actually thought he would be up there today um, particularly on those roads when I saw him in the breakaway I, I automatically thought that he's been kind of hiding the last few weeks um, and perhaps in better form than we thought but it wasn't to be a Mollema looked his usual self he was kind of all over the bike when he really like a bulldog chewing a wasp um, <laughs> which is his usual style really so he never gives much away he always looks to be suffering but um i don't know Trek last year i i called him the man united of cycling you know they, they're always there and present but they always seem to cock it up and Nibbly's kind of the oldest rider and paid the most as the team leader but i don't know they're they're, they're a big budget team that that don't get the results i mean jumbo i think i've got a. Uh, um, a lesser budget than them and, and look at the performances they put in there's something not right with that team in terms of how they're being run and being managed and the preparation even when Richie Porte was there you know they, they kind of didn't, just didn't hit anything really and um, they've been a real disappointment the last few years I can't remember the last biggest win that they've ever had for, for the budget of that team since Cancellara left
1: really I mean it's quite an interesting one I think yeah six rider break three riders in there from Trek you think yeah but then you just look at the course I mean if you haven't got the legs you haven't got the legs I don't think they actually tactically rode it bad um you know they were forced to ride on the front on the flatter sections but on a course like that and looking how how, how the, the kind of field exploded and and looking at the way that Mollimer was riding he didn't seem to have the same fluidity that he no. did when he won last no. year he seemed to be he always labours on the bike but he was he seemed to be over geared Ciccone didn't seem to have that kind of finesse that he normally has and and, and Nibali just wasn't as strong and, and Fulgussang the, the emphatic nature of his victory uh, who rode away from George Bennett who I thought was going to win the way he won the other, earlier in the week I thought Bennett for me was going to be the favourite but they're going to be disappointed but maybe not from a tactical perspective but they've clearly got it wrong elsewhere whether it wasn't the right build-up or whether they had completely different build-ups mm-hmm. to Fuglsang to look at it a bit more broadly I think there's such an unprecedented sort of season, um, and the fact that some riders could ride out on the road, others were locked indoors for six to eight weeks, I think we're seeing the impact of that, and riders that we'd normally see deal with that sort of you know, attritional race at the end, they just have not got the legs. I don't know what you think, Dan. It's
2: just different this yeah. year, isn't it? Like, just... We've never been in this situation before where so many huge, important races have come after such a long period off the bike, so... Yeah. I guess we're seeing the people that are able to train incredibly, you know, Wout van Aert being a prime example, really obviously doesn't need racing to get into form and other
0: people do. We mentioned Richie Port there, obviously still at Trek. He's, he's riding the Dauphiné this week. Um, one other bit of business, um, from today at Lombardia was Max Shackman's crash. Um, the race organizers aren't going to be able to hold their heads high with this one, Brad, uh, no. a public car on the course, yeah. I should say. Yeah.
3: Um, and that's happening quite a lot in a lot of races now, isn't it? Um, I mean, the nature of that course as well, it's very kind of up, down, twisty, small roads. And, and Italy, you know, they, they tend to maybe lack enough sort of marshals and things on every little road corner. And if even if there is a barrier there, sometimes locals will tend to kind of get a bit angry and override the, the regulations and, and want to get out of their house. They won't sit in their house for six hours because that bit of road's shut. And, you know, someone risked it probably after the front group had gone through or whatever. And Shackman was unfortunate to hit it, really. The guy was actually trying to get off the course, wasn't he? Turned left. Yeah, he seemed to be on the course very briefly and then turn left, uh, just, just as just, just not, as Shackman was coming uh, just, down yeah, the final so descent into Como. If he'd just, he just stayed driving in the same, because Shackman went to go underneath him, didn't he? Yeah. And he turned left because he saw somewhere to park. I mean, it's a shame. I don't think
0: he was too hurt, though, was he? he well, so we should say as well, he, he got up, carried on and, and finished, but sort of four, four minutes and change down on Sang. So Matt, what did you make of this one?
1: Again, you know, talk about miracles. I mean, that the fact that Chapman clearly preempted it. He, he was going quick, but he was on the corner. He clearly managed to shave off a bit, a little bit of speed as well. And actually, if it had been a split second earlier, he had gone straight over the bonnet and been catapulted into the road. Then it, we could have been seeing a completely different so killer yeah, fish. The car think, stopped him. Yeah, they kind of actually, he kind of glanced off it and um, thankfully is okay. But again, it's all about split seconds here. But, you know. It,
2: I think, yeah, in, in those split seconds, he probably thought it was a race vehicle and that when it moved to the right hand side of the road it, it was letting him through and only when it cut in to go up that road did he realize it wasn't
0: and yeah by that point it was too late for him to change his um, change his course yeah yeah. I mean, Brad, presumably he wouldn't have noticed that it wasn't a race vehicle because you don't, you know, you, are descending, you assume that the car in front of you is just going to stay out of your way.
3: Yeah. I mean, cause not, not all race vehicles are painted either. Um, they may just have a sticker on the front windscreen cause it could have been a press car or something, you know? Yeah. When you're in that moment, you never really assume that a, a general public car will be on the road. So, um, you know, he come around that corner and saw it and you don't have a lot of time to think really. Um, Heila would have assumed that that guy had seen him in his wing mirrors and was going to stay right. So he went to go underneath him and at the last minute he turned. And I mean, he would have been annoyed for sure. But mm. it's kind of, but it is, it is. It's one it's, of those things as well, because it, it wasn't that serious. How much will we done about it? It's a really good know? point. You know, um, a lot of the time it seems there has to be something serious happen for people to actually take note. What's
0: the what's the craziest thing that's ever happened to you in the peloton? Crazy like, things um, like, like that, like a, a sort of you know a foreign object, whatever it, whether it's the
2: size of a car or. I did it's... A, a junior race in Ireland called the Tour of Ireland many years ago,
3: and we were coming down the descent, and one rider hit a cow in the road. Yeah. <laughs> was the rider okay, and was the cow okay? Yeah, no, the rider went over the handlebars and over the cow. <laughs> Cows don't move; they're they're pretty heavy things. It just went, yeah. Well, that was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. And this rider hit a cow. And also, see a rider in a race hit a horse on the side of the road, you know? So. Where, where was that? The horse. I think it was in a race called the Europa Two Day, right. which used to be down
1: near Portsmouth. I hit a sheep. So, they were going through a whole farm yard. Danny got any advances on the sheep? I well, hit no,
2: Graham asked me this earlier, and I, I've got <laughs> nothing to add to this conversation, I'm no. <laughs> okay.
0: Shame. Hmm, good. Well, pleased to hear the cow and the horse uh, were all OK. No, the cow's uh, dead now. That was 22 years ago. Right. <laughs> Could still be going. We don't know. No, um, no, I think we it. ate it. Someone's right. eaten it. <laughs> good. Well, on that bovine note, we will be back with more from The Bradley Wiggins Show after this. Laka's collective cover is made especially for cyclists, for life on and off your bike. Laka has flipped outdated traditional insurance on its head with no more fixed upfront premiums. Instead, Your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month. Your max monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. Plus, 80% of your money goes straight back into the collective, fixing, replacing and helping. And the other 20% keeps their wheels spinning. It's as simple as that. And when things go bad, lack has got your back. Claims are handled by experts and usually agreed within a day, with no depreciation or excess. They've ditched annual contracts locking you in, with Lacquer, if you want to leave, you can anytime. Head over to www.lacquer.co where new customers can get £10 credit by signing up today with the discount code Wiggins. Welcome back to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, sponsored by Lacquer. Today was stage four, we're recording on Saturday, stage four of the Dauphiné, um, a shortened race, five stages, um, nothing but mountains, Matt, from the get-go. You've been calling it for us on Eurosport this week. It's been a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, it's been a, it's been a spectacular race. Um, Primoz Roglic and Jumbo Visma have been, um, been incredible. And let's be honest, Ineos have, have struggled. Uh, and today we saw Igan Bernal not take the start. Um, apparently it's a, a niggle with his back, which which isn't great. But um, yeah, they have. I mean, I mean, Yama Visma have ridden so so dominantly. Sadly, today, I mean, it was it was it's been a, it was a day full of crashes. Um, mm. We saw Steven Kreisweig crash and dislocate his his shoulder. We saw Roglic crash as well, um, but yeah, every single day, hilltop finish, a small fourth cat climb on, on day one, and basically we're into the mountains. There's, there's no let up at all. There's only I think only Alexander Kristoff and Andre Greipel are the only sprinters here. Imagine taking them to this race. Uh, what a nightmare for those guys. Twenty seven categorized climbs, we should yeah. say, in five days, which yeah. is which is absurd. I mean, today with four and a half thousand meters of elevation, um, and it's given us a real insight into where the teams are. Um, where everybody is. I mean, given, given the lack of preparation, there's clearly some teams are in an exceptionally good place. Some individuals are in ex- an exceptionally good place. Others are clearly on the right trajectory. And there's a few others that you kind of are beginning to worry about, mm-hmm. but to be perfectly honest with you. But the racing has been, has been fantastic to see. I mean, without a shadow of a doubt, I mean, Brad's won this race before on a couple of occasions. I've never seen a field as stacked as this before for the Dauphiné. It's been very aggressive racing, but Roglic has seemed untouchable and uh, there's nobody that can even that can bother him at all uh, so far and we will keep our powder dry on that yes, one for next week's
0: episode okay. of the Bradley Wiggins show which will be our Tour de France preview a word on today's stage then won by Bora's Lenny Kamner um, so a good and a bad day for Bora who um, not only did we see Max Shackman um, as, as we mentioned go, uh, go down in Lombardia um, but Manny Bookman out of the Dauphiné um, and, and we was, we, it's yet to be seen what that will mean for his tour chances Brad, give us a word on Lenny Kamner, who rode off the front with a ferocity that no one could match today.
3: Yeah, 2018. He left, um, he went away from um, his team at the time in March, I think, till about August. Is that right, Dan? Yeah, yeah, yeah from San Remo to um, the Tour of Denmark. Just to um, kind of rethink his life and what he wanted to do in life. Came back to the Tour of Denmark sort of five, six months later, fully charged and ready to go, and obviously committed to cycling. And um, he had a good tour last year, didn't he? And then um, obviously this year he's won that stage in amazing style, really. So um, good on him. You know, he's only a young guy and, you know, to to have the balls to do that at that age and walk away and think, is this sport for me?
0: Obviously clearly worked for him because, you know, he's he's found a new lease of life. Mm, And he won it from a break of real quality as well, Dan. He did, yeah. So give give us a few of the names up there or would you oh, like to no, put no, me on the no, spot no we Mikey, were Kri- oh, okay.
2: <laughs> Alaphilippe, um, yeah, Dylan Turns and Mahorich didn't we from Barry and McLaren up there I mean it was yeah. Jack Haig when you looked down the list of 13 or 15 riders that were up the road you could have sort of said anyone really on their day could have won from that breakaway and he was the guy that did it and he was the best placed on GC2 so it's not as though he's been I mean nobody could take it easy on those first three days but it's not as if he's been sitting up on the last climb or anything he's been he's been right up there and he's been in the break today you know it's for him that they were having to chase a little bit behind Jumbo Visma because he was at what five and a half minutes close to six minutes on the GC and so to pull off that victory at the end in the style that he did, because yeah, he bridged across to Alessandro and Dela Cruz and then just kind of rode De La Cruz off the wheel, really. And, and Ala Philippe and Jack Haig behind them couldn't make any impression whatsoever. So he's got a massive future ahead of him. He's still very young, despite that break that Brad talked about back in 2018. And I think he's, I don't know if he's a European or, or world's time troll champion in, European, in the part. It's European, yeah. So he, he could well be the complete package moving forwards if he continues to make improvements like he's doing.
0: Matt, you mentioned Primoz Roglic has obviously been the standout performer, head and shoulders above everyone else. He's had some very impressive support from, uh, well, his whole team really, but Sepp Kuss has has stood out.
1: Yeah, the 25-year-old from Colorado, Durango in Colorado, is where he hails from. Um, again, the second skier in the so team. I was going to say, say it. Yeah. Well, well, he, well, he comes from Nordic skiing, not downhill skiing. Yeah. Um, his father um, set up apparently a lot of the kind of um, the kind of infrastructure, the, the skiing infrastructure in in that neck of the woods. But no, what an exceptional rider he is. I mean, we showed that the fulfilment of the promise at the back end of last year, didn't we, with that stage win in, in mm-hmm. the Vuelta, which was impressive when he was aware with Teo Um but he is very much like Roglic, in fact, he's hes seen, he's totally unshakable. he he's, he's sticks to him like glue. I mean very, very impressive indeed. He looks like he's heading towards the Tour de France and, and also day by day, Tom de Moulin has got better and better. He rode exceptionally well today, just taking his time for the first time. I think we saw the de Moulin of old, and when you bear in mind he's he's had i think it was I think somebody put it on Twitter the other day, four hundred and forty days without racing. So 4, one, 420. 420, there you go. Um, so, but the whole team, and even, and even Tony Martin, I mean, he's okay. Tao was a big classic specialist back in the day, multiple team, time, trial, you know, time trial world champ. But now he's the, the engine room in the Valley Roads and stuff. And it's great to see a rider of the, of the class of Tony Martin having a real purpose. Um and Wow and, Van Art as well. Oh I Van mean, yeah. It's
2: crazy where he's getting to in the mountains. I mean I think the, the the point at which he was first dropped today before he came back, he was dropped with Adam Yates. And then he was gunning it on the front. Yeah, so but we I, saw him win. What, what, straight what to must the front. Adam be thinking? Like, because he, he's a big guy, isn't he? Like when you see him compared to somebody like Adam Yates, I mean Adam must have been there thinking how on earth am I being dropped at the same time as, as somebody? Yeah. It must not do your confidence much good, I don't suppose. At yeah. that point. I, I
1: think to, to, as a caveat to that, Adam spent 10 days off the bike with gastroenteritis coming into this race. So he's just happy to just start getting through. But you're quite right, Dan. He is, I mean, he is a man, you know, that team, they're on a mission they are. they are far and away uh, the best team at the moment. It's just, I think the big question is, can they sustain it? I think that's that's the other big kind of question. Uh, can they sustain it to the tour.
0: Mm. So, Wout van we mentioned taking stage one, Roglic taking stage two. Uh, one of the two Davids or Davides at UAE, Matt, And you've mentioned a couple of times on commentary,
1: taking stage three, Formula. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it was an interesting ride. I mean, it just... I was chatting to Carlton about it. I mean, uh, he didn't look particularly comfortable and he he was riding a lot of the climbs on the big ring, sort of on a like 53, 25, 53, 28, whatever, whatever kind of ratio they've got at the back and looked to be struggling. But you know, they weren't pulling him back quick enough and uh, a quite remarkable ride by Formolo. But again, he's, he's a man who's, who's, who's hit, the, uh, hit the ground running. I mean, he was going well enough, I think when he was with Bora last year, but he seems to have found his, his place in the team. And uh, is really finally at 27, I think he is now, fulfilling that, the kind of promise. Um, but yeah, I think his style on the bike kind of really belied the kind of, the kind of power that he was putting through it. Because he was, what was he, must have averaged like 50 or 60 RPM for the last 20K. Yeah. But yeah, a mightily impressive He rifle. looked like he
2: was labouring, yeah. didn't he? Let's put it that way. But he didn't lose much time, really, over no. the last
0: few Ks. And Brad, Julian Alaphilippe said before today's stage that he fancied it today. So he was giving it the big one, if you like.
3: Yeah, which is um, a bit different to what he said a few weeks ago, didn't he? About not being in um, the form he wanted to be in. Um, but we saw him in San Remo last week, and you know, he's clearly now brimming full of confidence isn't he
2: towards uh, the tour next? do you think he can win a grand tour no no i don't either no, no. I, don't,
1: I don't either for what it's worth
3: unless he changes his ride um the way he rides because he rides on emotion and energy and i just think he he leaves too much on the road at the wrong times really um and i th- i don't I, th- I don't think we'll ever see him have a tour like he did last year i mean i may be wrong but um there was an element of kind of riding on cloud nine with that, you know, that I don't think anyone expected him to be in that position, including himself. Cause we saw him on, was it day two or three last year where he jumped away and won that stage and took yellow. Who'd have thought three weeks after that, <laughs> When you when you're conscious that you're capable of doing something like that, repeating it, it's quite hard again because you maybe overthink things. But I wouldn't put anything
2: past him. But I don't think any of us want him to change how he rides. either, no, we, do we. No, like right. it, we he's want great... him, we want him to leave it out on the road like he like Brad just said.
1: He's an entertainer. I think the sport needs entertainers, doesn't it? You know, and he is an entertainer. But he's got you know, ridiculously rich Palmares already. But yeah, I think a three week tour. I agree with you, Brad. Yeah. I agree with you, Dan. I don't think uh, I think maybe a week long races and monuments. He'll collect those for the rest of his career. I think.
0: Yeah, and well, we will come back to uh, Julien Alaphilippe in next week's tour episode. elsewhere this week chaps the world championships will not be happening as planned in switzerland basically because gatherings of more than one thousand people uh, cannot happen say the swiss government matt that shows just how fragile cycling is at the moment doesn't it
1: yeah it's um i mean there's a few rumors of i mean it clearly was the right move because they, they couldn't actually hold hold the event um but there's rumours now, we will know the UCI are going to decide on the 1st of September, but there's three cities and towns in Italy that are ha- happy to put it on, and apparently there's a rumour that it might actually be liege Bastion liege as well. So that that is an exciting proposition, because I think one thing that the UCI want to continue with is the severity of the course. This was one of the hardest courses since mm. Salon, or since Colombia, Duetama, back in 1995. Uh, so they want it to be a hard course. Liège is hard, isn't it? But that'll be, I mean, wonder what, what the organisers of liege Bastion liege will think, you know. Have you still won the A's, Bastion the if you've won the Worlds? Interesting stuff. Yeah. We'll
2: see. I think the, uh, what does seem certain is that it will probably only be for the elites, unfortunately. Mm. I mean, the, the, the under-23s and juniors have had a tougher time than anybody this year, really, in trying to to show themselves to the world and to the big teams. And it does seem likely that a revised World Championships um, venue will only
0: include the elite championships as opposed to the, the under twenty three and juniors, which is really unfortunate. Yep. Brad, if you've got your eye on a course like that, if you've wrecked it, how frustrating is that for a rider? Well, this year, more than any year, I, don't, I think everyone will understand
3: that the season's so fragile, isn't it? Whether we'll see the season out, you know, whether it will just um, something like this will happen. I think everyone's kind of doing the best they can with the always the chance that, that somewhere's going to break out and go into lockdown again. It is what it is. I think it was always going to be delicate anyway, and you have to sort of play it as you see it really you know it only needs an outbreak and that's it I mean if there was an outbreak during the tour what would they do I mean would they cancel the race then and I think they'll find a way that the show must go on as they did with Paris Nice I think everyone's just sort of going ahead as they can really with, with, with the risk of this happening but the world championships I guess I don't know how many people would have wrecked that course maybe, they, maybe a few of them would have done it during the lockdown just to see but,
2: um, but the one good thing I guess is that the individual time trial on the men's side is no longer on the same day as the final stage of the tour
1: yeah that was I mean that wasn't good was it I mean we know there's gonna, there was some overlap but at least yeah at least that won't be the yeah good, I so mean that's it's a shame. bit ridiculous isn't it as well yeah.
0: well that's the UCI for you and that brings us to the end of this episode of the Bradley Wiggins show by Eurosport thank you to our sponsor Lacquer Bicycle Insurance thank you Brad as ever for your forthright views no problem we, we can follow you on social media at
2: uh, so we go so, so we go so thank I you of one of my many accounts
0: Dan thank you for joining us
2: uh, where can we find you on social at Dan Lloyd Daniel Lloyd One Get it right, Brad. Daniel Lloyd
0: One. Far more formal. Daniel Lloyd One. Matt, the real thing at Real Stevens. Yeah. Real the, Stevens. With a Ph, if I'm uh, not With mistaken. a Ph, uh, yes. Real Stevens. Um, thank you for joining us. Thank <laughs> you to our producer, Pete Burton. Uh, Podcast, Pete. We should also add you can follow Eurosport on Twitter at Eurosport underscore UK. Plus, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Finally, from me, Graham Wilgos, it's goodbye. If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, share your thoughts, and rate us wherever you pod. We'll be back next week with our Tour de France preview episode. Brad, we're looking forward to having matt and dan back on chaps thank you all cheers thank you you very much goodbye
3: even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands